Sorry, it's been a few weeks since I've done this. That's all it takes. And then I forget everything I'm supposed to do. Good morning, church. Good morning, friends. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning to everyone uh, hanging out at the house right now, but still with us, joining us in praise and joining us in spirit. We are so thankful to be here this morning. We are so thankful for each and every one of you here this morning. You are on my heart and Tommy's heart and in our prayers every day. I may not know everything that each of you are going through, um, but the Lord puts you on my heart, and he knows what um, your needs and your burdens are. And so I just lift them up, <laughs> knowing that he knows what each and every one of you need to depend on um, for, through him right now in this season of your life. Um, so, by the way, my name is Sarah, and if you're new today, thank you for coming and joining us. You are, uh, you're just so welcome, and we're so thankful that you are here and that you have chosen Grace Life as a place to come and, and meet with God. So up on the screen, you'll see that little QR code, and has that QR code been working for you guys? I think someone was telling me in the back yesterday that... It's, it doesn't work when they, can someone give me a thumbs up if it's, it worked? Okay. Someone was saying that maybe we needed to make it larger. I don't know, but hopefully it works for you. Scan that QR code that will take you to our scripture reading for today. That will take you to, um, I think our app that will give you other options of things to explore, um, like our uh, events that are coming up, things with our community groups during the, the school year. Right now we have um, a grow class that's meeting every week. Uh, you'll find out about other ways to connect with our church. You can submit a prayer request. You can uh, give donations and tithes through the app. And if you don't have the app and you need help with that, just find, find anybody and uh, there's a good chance that, that almost anyone in this church can help you navigate that and get you connected. Um, so every week we share a welcome at Grace Life. And um, I just wanted to say before I read the welcome, that uh, this week I was feeling particularly weary uh, just as summer's, you know, really underway at this point. And uh, I just, the other day, it was like the middle of the day, and um, I'm sure many of you have been there, and you just feel so just empty maybe, you know, and just don't feel like, you know, you have this strength to even, for me, it's like taking the clothes from the dryer or whatever, or just taking them from the washing or doing any, even, even telling my kids to do those things. And um, I think there's just so many things, right, in those moments in life where we just feel, we just feel so tired and exhausted, and sometimes even more than that, we feel despair, we feel hopeless. And um, I just was like, okay, Lord, I just need a word from you. And it's easy, isn't it, in those moments to just turn to something else, Right? Don't we kind of all have things that we can distract ourselves with? Uh, I don't have to name them. We all have them. And I don't know why, but it's just sometimes so much easier to reach for that, isn't it, than just to, to reach out and just speak the name of Jesus or ask him to send you a word. And so in that moment, I just was like, I need the real thing. And uh, I had this app called Abide, and sometimes I just hit that app in the middle of the day, and it'll just give like a two-minute devotion on, on a scripture. And so I just was waiting, you know, to see what that scripture was going to be. And it was from Isaiah um, 40, and this is a familiar passage for a lot of people. Um, but before I read the welcome, just want to read this passage. This is in Isaiah 40 towards the end. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. Believe that. It is so true. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, that's it. Doesn't matter if you're old, doesn't matter what you have going on or if you're young. Those who wait for the Lord, they, he, the Lord shall renew their strength. That's all you got to do. Wait for the Lord. He will renew your strength, and you will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. And so if we can put our uh, welcome up on 
there. And um, wow, this just is to me just another reminder that there is strength waiting for you when you are weary. Um, there's a God who cares. There's a God that assigns worth to you, even though you feel like you don't have worth. So this is our welcome. To all who mourn and need comfort, that's a lot of us. To all who are weary and need rest. Yeah. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who fail and need strength. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, praise God if you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, because that's the Lord in your life. And to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors, so wide, friends, in the name of Jesus Christ, and offers welcome. And now we have our scripture reading for today. Tommy is in Romans 8. Look, my girls would be so mortified if I brought them up on stage. <laughs> no, they're taking that. We memorized half of Romans 8. I'm not doing that to brag. It was during the lockdown, and we had nothing else to do because we were all locked in our house for six weeks. And so we, we memorized the first half. This was in 2020. And I put it to a little beat. Is it okay if I say it to that beat? Okay. All right. So I'm going to not even look at the screen. I'm going to see if I can just say it. But if I'm on stage, watch me mess it up. But we said this. I don't know, girls. How many times do you think we've had to say this? A few hundred. That's the only way we got it memorized. All right. So here's, here's how we say it in the Clayton house. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They're dying. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, I better stop because that's as far as I'm supposed to go. It's rare that people applaud when I walk up to the to the stage. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Man, we're starting out on the wrong foot today. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. My name's Tommy. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, the lead pastor here, and on behalf of our church family, um, welcome. Welcome to Grace Life Church. This is an exciting day because we are jumping in with both feet to chapter 8, so I want to pause for a moment and pray and ask for God's blessing, ask for God's help, ask for God's power, ask for God's spirit to come and open our eyes to see the the mysterious, uh, powerful, beautiful, exhilarating, and thrilling truths in this chapter. We know they're there. We've read them. We need God's help to understand and to apply and to celebrate them. So let's do that now. Let's just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage, for the countless people, the millions and millions of people over the centuries who have found help here and, and comfort, Lord, and freedom and strength, and all the people that it has filled with hope in the strangest ways. And I pray it would do that to us too. All scripture is profitable, and helpful, and powerful, and inspired, and from you. Every word is from you. Every word inspired, and every word is, is worthy of our considerations will help us to go slow and take our time, Lord, and, and uh, derive maximum benefit from this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this is a, a famous chapter in the Bible. If you've been around church for very long, or if you've been a Christian for very long, or if you just pay attention to, to Christians' tattoos, uh, then you know this is a very memorable and a very powerful chapter. Um, it's wrong to elevate one portion of Scripture over another, because the Bible does say that all Scripture is profitable. Every jot and tittle of the Bible is profitable. It's all from God, and He gave us every 
single word in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek to edify us, to help us, to challenge us, to comfort us, to convict us. So it's, it's wrong to elevate one portion of Scripture above another, but it's also, I think, foolish to ignore certain portions of Scripture that the Holy Spirit of God has seemed pleased to use to help people in a, in a very clear and, and demonstrable way over the centuries. And this is one of those chapters. This is one of those passages. Paul is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Romans is a letter. It's a letter written to a church in Rome. It's written to Roman Christians who are Gentiles. It's written to Jewish uh, Christians who are together and relatively new in the faith, and he's wanting to build them up. This whole chapter, we call this series Engage. This is a, uh, a comprehensive treatment of the gospel. And he's writing them so that he can lay out a body of truth for them to understand what it means to be a Christian, how that happened, what it means for them so that they can engage God, they can engage the world, they can engage themselves, they can engage one another. It's a powerful chapter. One theologian and pastor whom I love and trust and admire said this. He said, the greatest book in the world is the Bible. And the greatest letter in that book is Romans. And the greatest chapter in that book is chapter 8. And the greatest verse in that chapter is chapter 1. <laughs> so that's where, that's where we're at today, man. This is a crowning portion of, of the New Testament. One person said, this is the Christian faith summarized in one verse. I know we listed four verses that my wife sang. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to be in, uh, in the very first part of that primarily for today. We've got, we got a whole chapter ahead of us. Johann Sebastian Bach composed a cantata uh, exclusively and specifically from, from this chapter in the Bible, from chapter 8. Romans 8 is a treasure. And you know what they say about treasure? One man's treasure is another man's what? Trash. That's right. There's a really interesting story about this chapter. In the early 70s, there was an energetic young Christian who was Vietnamese, and he served in Vietnam as a translator for an American group of missionaries. And shortly after all the, the war was going on, Vietnam fell. He was jailed on accusations. He was in prison on accusations of helping aid and abet the enemy, America. So his, his jailers tried to indoctrinate him against the Christian faith. You know, they just charged everything. This is a Western way of thinking. Christianity equals the West, and so we gotta we gotta deprogram this guy. We gotta brainwash him. And so they made him only read and listen to propaganda that was socialist, Marxist, communist, to tear down his way of thinking about the world. And man, it wore him down every day. He would have to read it, he would have to listen to it, and that daily deluge took a toll on him. It filled him with doubt. And he began to think, maybe, maybe I've been brainwashed by the American missionaries. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe He doesn't exist. Maybe this is, God's abandoned me because He's not there. He can't help me. And he had determined that he was going to abandon the Christian faith. Well, the very next morning, he was assigned the dreaded chore of cleaning the prison latrines for the officers. Now, look, I don't want to get too grimy here, but latrines, there's, it's, that's not pleasant plumbing. There's no flush, okay? It just accumulates in one place. And when it piles up, you, you have somebody go and clean it out. And that was his job for the officers. He cleaned out the overflowing latrines. And his eye fell upon what seemed to be an English text printed on very thin paper, all wadded up and soiled. I'll leave it at that. And he grabbed it because he was so hungry for something from the West, to, me, to be honest. And he unraveled that paper, he cleaned it off, and he read at the top, Romans chapter 8, and he carefully read these words with trembling eyes. I guess your eyes can tremble, can't they? <laughs> and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And then a little bit later, for I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he wept, and he cried out to God asking forgiveness for his thoughts of just despair and abandonment and, and unbelief and doubt. What his tormentors were using for refuse, the scriptures, which it was trash to them, 
uh, it was his treasure. And in fact, after that happened, he, he went to the commanding officer of his jailers and he requested, can I clean your latrines out every morning? And they said, who's this crazy, who's this crazy guy? Of course you can. Yeah, we'd love to give you that job. Because what he realized was, and this is the filthy part, was that those officers, they didn't have toilet paper, so what were they using? Pages of the Bible and Romans. So one man's trash literally became another man's treasure, and that was his daily duty. He would clean out those latrines, find the next passage of Scripture, clean it up, stick it in his pocket, take it to his room, and when his roommates went to sleep, that was his treasure every night. So Romans 8 has a very special place in that young man's heart, and there's much more to that story, but I'll leave it for that. Leave it for another time. One man said this, if the church could hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans chapter 8, there is no knowing what might happen. So that's really what I want us to do today. I want us to just hoist our sails and see if God will blow uh, the wind of illumination and enlightenment so that we can see the the treasure that this chapter is. And we're just going to camp in the first part of it. So three things today, okay? And, And they're all negatives. And we're not, I can tell you we're not going to get to the last one, which is one of the most powerful. We're going to save that for next time. I tried, I, I tried, I labored, I just couldn't. It, it would be too long of a sermon, and I feel like I would, it's just too much information. I don't, I don't want a data dump. So here we go. Three points. Number one, no commands. Number two, no condemnation. And number three, no slavery. First, no commands. No commands. This chapter has 39 verses. And something that often goes unnoticed, uh, maybe it's because of the different translations that are used, there is not an imperative. You know what that word means? It means somebody telling you to do something. A commandment. There's not one commandment in all 39 verses in this chapter. Not one. You say, so what? Well, what's so interesting to me about this is, this is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible. It's one of the most memorable chapters in the Bible. And at no point in this chapter are you actually told to do something, to do anything. It's not a grocery list. It's not a to-do list. It's not a, let's go, get up, get going, get on it, get busy. Certainly there are portions of the Bible that have that, but this almost invites you to just sit and, and take all of this in and celebrate it and relish it, swish it around in your mouth. If you're, if you're into to a wine culture, it will be that idea. Let this wash over your palate and cleanse your palate. Let this renew your mind, restore your thinking. Let this be your center of gravity. Let this be your recalibration. That's what chapter 8 has proven to be for people, and I just find that interesting. If you're around a group of Christians for very long, and, and they do have artwork on their body or on their house, in their, in their kitchen or on their, uh, stenciled on their wall in their living room, you're probably at some point going to find a portion of Romans 8. That seems to be a pretty popular passage. You don't typically see people tattooing themselves with commands, right? It's like, leave the corner of your field ungleaned for the foreigner. <laughs> right here, bro. You don't see that. You see these powerful, deep, exhilarating declarations that God has made over us. You see promises, not commands. Promises require faith. Promises require belief. And I've told you before, Romans chapter 7 drives you to help. I mean, we're left on the, on, almost on the edge of a cliff, teeter-tottering. Who will deliver? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then their answer is, I thank God in Christ Jesus. And then that's the corner that Paul turns. And chapter 8 is all these wonderful declarations. All that we have because of Jesus Christ's finished work on our behalf. All that that means for us. This is everything. This is how you view yourself, how you view your problems, how you view suffering, how you view your struggles, how you view your past, how you view your present, how you view your future, how you view the world. This chapter is meant to set the tone and to recalibrate you, to restore your thinking, to to line up with that of God's, to think God's thoughts after Him. This is how God thinks of us, and this is how we should think of ourselves And think about our mission field. That's what this chapter is about. So since the promises of the gospel are true, since Christianity is true, how should that shape the way you think about yourself? That's what the beginning of this chapter does. That's why there's no commands. This is just a declaration. This is what it means now that you're a Christian. These things are true of you. 
And, I, and this is a side note. If this chapter has been so helpful to people, primarily people that feel weak, depleted, condemned, helpless, hopeless, if this chapter has been the most powerful and the most helpful to some of them right where they needed it the most in their, in their time of condemnation, God's showing us something and telling us something about how we can help other people. Because all Scripture is profitable, that's true. But there's some Scriptures that aren't the most helpful to people when they're at the bottom, <laughs> right? Have you ever picked the wrong Scripture to try and encourage somebody when they were burnt out or fed up? Yeah, it's usually promises that people need. I'll, I'll give you the clue in. It's usually promises. Promises are powerful. My wife's been helping uh, a friend of ours that's not, not here anymore. She moved away, and she was just, man, at just her wit's end. Just so many things had intersected and collided in her life to make this perfect cocktail storm of despair. And my wife was sharing her, really all the things that we've been studying as a church. She read the prodigal son story to her and talked about how, isn't it interesting that when the father sees his son from a, from a distance on the front porch, and he, he runs out. The father's undignified. He, he's a, he's a, a noble and wealthy landowner of nobility in the Jewish culture, and yet he lifts up his robe, and he runs out to his son. What a shameful thing for a wealthy older man to do, right? Especially to the son that, that scorned him and held him in contempt and went and squandered all his living and, and drug his family name through the dirt and did shameful things. And yet the father, when he sees his son, he runs out to him, and what does he do? Does he wag his finger in his face? Does he give him a lecture? Does he say, I knew you'd be back, and I got just the job for you now? He doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He dignifies his son. He forgives his son. He Remember, he epipipto. He, he falls on him and kisses him. He doesn't fall on him and, and kick him. He falls on him and forgives him. And that's a picture of the Christian life. That's a, a picture of what Romans 8, and my wife was sharing that with, with her friend, and she texted her later, and she said, I don't know what you did, but the passages that you're sharing with me, with me are filling me with hope. Filling me with hope. There's, you know, all, all Scripture is, is in the arsenal, and you're welcome to use any of it, but I found that there's people that have shared Scripture with me that was just poor timing, <laughs> right? I felt like they were saying, do better, try harder, you know? So there's no commands in this chapter. It's, it's designed to fill you with hope. And uh, Matt did a tremendous job last week sharing our, our first grow class. And by the way, shameless plug here, uh, if you missed that class, that's okay. Matt would be happy to share notes with you. We had an incredible turnout. One of the best turnouts we've ever had for a class that encourages me as your pastor because you know what that tells me? You want to grow. What does it mean when you stop growing? You're what? What, hap what does it mean when living things stop growing? They're stagnant or they're worse, dead. Yeah, we all need to grow. I was just as excited to be at a class that I wasn't teaching as I've ever been. He did a tremendous job. And one of the things he asked was, what, what attracted you to Christianity? I thought it was a really helpful and interesting question. What was it? The truth? The beauty? The freedom? One of the first answers that was given, I think it was by you, Michael Wyckoff, was forgiveness. Forgiveness. What is it that's so attractive and so beautiful and so compelling about Christianity? One of the first things is what we, we did at the beginning of service, just the welcome of God. That's what verse 1 really tells us. There is therefore now what? No condemnation. There's no sentence. There's no penalty. There's no punishment. There's no judgment. When you are in Christ, when you are in Christ, you are safe. The verdict declared over your life is innocent, positively, or not guilty, negatively. Man, that's, attract that's attractive. That's attractive, especially when you're feeling guilty, when you're feeling the judgment upon you, when you're feeling scorn and, and condemnation and shame. Thank you. So... All of that to say this, as we jump into our outline, uh, have you ever been on the interstate and, and seen what we call around here rubberneckers? Maybe you've seen them, maybe you've been them. <laughs> a rubbernecker is a funny phrase for somebody who slows down to see something going on on the side of the highway. A wreck, somebody getting pulled over, somebody with a flat tire. We're, we're, we're bored, we're curious, 
We want to see something exciting. Or maybe we want to see something destructive, right? We just, we, we, we want to be moved by something. And so we slow down and it backs traffic all the way up. Today, what I want us to do is to rubberneck a little bit here <laughs> in Romans chapter 8. We're not going to put the pedal to the metal. We're going to go really slow. Heck, we may even pull over. We may even get out of the car and go sit down on the curb and look and see what Paul's talking about here. I think it's worthy. One night, we were in my minivan years ago. My kids were all little. They probably don't even remember this. And we saw the most beautiful, uh, there's no word to describe it, just in, uh, just compelling, just the beautiful, most beautiful full moon I've ever seen in my life. And I found a space, and we pulled over, and I made everybody get out. I think we sat on top of the van for a little bit. We just beheld that moon. It was just so captivating, so majestic and beautiful. And I feel that way about Romans chapter 8. Um, so that's what I really want to do. I want us to, to pull the car over. So let's jump into, let's jump into point number two, because this, this chapter really starts with a surprise, a shock, a breath of fresh air, because this is what we ended the last chapter with, if you remember I quoted earlier, but let me read it. He says, I see in my members another law. He's talking about indwelling sin, this presence of evil within him. Even as a Christian, Paul, an inspired apostles, talking about this war, this conflict, this battle we all feel within us. I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. He said, I feel like a prisoner in my own body. I feel like I'm incarcerated in my human body making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you're expecting with all of this for chapter 8 to start with judgment. You're waging war. You feel defeated. You feel weak. You feel like you're losing. You feel like God's, God's going to get you. And yet, what do we get? Check it out. Verse 1, there is therefore... I feel weak, I feel wretched. Well, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I think it just, we're so accustomed to this, we're so familiar with this, we lose the shock and the surprise. This should be the last thing we would expect in Romans chapter 8 coming out of Romans chapter 7. You would expect God to drop the hammer. It's like, that's it, I've had it. I've given you opportunity after opportunity, chance after chance after chance. I've given you my commandments. I've shown you what I want, what I expect, what I demand, and you still manage to mess it up. What else can I do? That's not what God says, though. He says, there's therefore now no condemnation. What a shock. Does that shock you? <laughs> just, just sit on this for a minute. There is the, no other, what other, if you want to call it a religion or a faith or a worldview in the world, gives you that declaration after the life you've lived. I can tell you, you can go and search and explore all you want. You're not going to find any, therefore, there's now no condemnations. When you put your resume, your performance, your rap sheet up next to a holy God, you're not going to get that from any other religion. I can promise you that. There's therefore now no condemnation. Condemnation is just a forensic term. That includes both the sentence and the execution of the sentence. In other words, guilt and punishment. There's no guilt, there's no punishment. What? How can that happen? In Christ. We'll get to that. In Christ. This is also, condemnation is also the expression of a very strong disapproval. A charge held against you. It, it includes this idea of you owe an unpayable debt. You'll never be able to fix this. This is beyond broken. This is a disaster. This is a dumpster fire and a train wreck. You'll never be able to make this right. But that's not what God says. He says no condemnation. And by the way, the word no, uh, just put on my nerd hat here for a minute, it's emphatic in the Greek. It means none at all. Not, well, just a little. I'll do what I can to help you, but there's still some leftover debt to pay. I'll meet you halfway. I'll subsidize your guilt. That's not what he says. He says none. Emphatically, not an ounce, not a shred, not a jot, not a tittle, no condemnation, no judgment, no penalty, no fear, no death. I cannot imagine anything more countercultural right now than that message. Friends, we swim in condemnation. It's the air we breathe, it's the water we swim in every single day. This is 2022, every single day. 
accusations, condemnations. You're not meeting somebody's expectations. As crazy and unrealistic as it may be, you're not meeting them. We live in an age of rejection and cancel, this angry, bitter world of blaming and shaming. This passage is heaven. It ought to be heaven. We ought to want to pull the car over and just sit in this for a minute because you're not going to find it out there anywhere. And can I be honest? Some churches that you may be a part of, you won't find it there either. It's just another version, a cleaned up Christian version of condemnation. You're not doing it right. You're not dressing right. You're not talking right. You're not reading the right people, listening to the right music, watching right things. Condemnation heaped on condemnation heaped on condemnation. And God says enough. The second we wake up, we face an endless wave, just a catalog of condemnation sources, don't we? We feel it around us, we see it among us, we hear it inside us. I mean, we're the worst critic of ourselves. We got this inner Pharisee, this inner lawyer that's always trying us and we're found wanting. And we sense it above us too. I don't have to go any further than my email or my driveway. Seriously, fresh off the press. Let me show you a few things here. Um... I use an app called Nextdoor. I probably shouldn't. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. I'm just being full disclosure here. <laughs> it's called Nextdoor, and it helps connect neighbors in a neighborhood. And I have to confess, man, sometimes when I check it, I feel like I need to go get popcorn because some of the things that are written there. Here's their mission statement. This is the mission statement for Nextdoor. Our purpose is to cultivate a kinder world where everyone has a neighborhood they can rely on. Man, I wish I could find one of those neighborhoods. I bet my neighbors do too. <laughs> Let's throw that in. We want all neighbors to feel welcome, safe, and respected when using the Nextdoor app. And here's their motto. When neighbors start talking, good things happen. That's their motto. Can you guys see this? I didn't even put, I made a mistake and didn't include that. I, is that the one that's something about the person that like rescued a dog or something? This person, from my understanding, rescued a dog from a shelter. I mean, you get condemned. Listen, you get condemnation now if you go buy a dog because you're supposed to go rescue a dog. That's the law, right? But if you go rescue a dog and they bark, uh, the, the, there's more condemnation. You can't do anything right. You can't do anything right. Here's another one. Love how this thing starts out. Uh, next door app and... It's, they complain about everything from weak internet providers to slow traffic to lazy dog owners to speeding residents, delinquent youth, somebody's dog pooped on their lawn, the pond and the commons aren't being maintained, teenagers roaming around without supervision, people parking in the street, restricting traffic, music being played too loud, too many kids at the clubhouse pool, people driving too fast, lawns not being cut, weeds not being pulled, fireworks going off past 8 p.m. and on July 5th. Barking dogs, roaming cats, people feeding sandhill cranes bread. <laughs> I said nothing. There was no admission of guilt. HOA being slow to address any of these emergencies. There's condemnation everywhere. You get out of your bed and pick up your phone. There's condemnation waiting there for you, which is a really good reason not to grab your phone unless you're getting on the ESV app, right? condemnations everywhere and sometimes we don't even realize I mean even looking at what happened in Texas you're hearing at some of the students and the parents who survived or parents who had kids that survived you do, do you know what they feel right now you know what they guess what they feel survivor guilt they feel condemnation because their kid didn't die or the students who didn't die they feel condemnation or I this is not a political statement but put yourself just a, a member of the task force or the SWAT team that went in there, but not when people said they should have gone in there. I'm not making, I'm just saying, have you, have you tried to, to understand how they feel in all this? Can you, can you even imagine? Can you even imagine how those people feel? Or the leadership, how they feel? There's condemnation everywhere. John Updike was a secular novelist, a secular novelist, and he said this about the problem of the secular life. It's good to hear a secularist say that there's a problem with the worldview. This is what he said. The modern mindset is a sensation of anxiety and shame. I would add condemnation, which is what he's saying. Whose center cannot be located and therefore cannot be placated. 
Here's a guy saying, there's this anxious presence everywhere, and nobody can even, even attach it to anything. I can. The Bible can. Do you, know, do you know the underlying reason? It's not really, I don't think, the teenagers or the weeds or the dogs or the poop on the lawn. Do you know what it really is? Everyone feels this weight of condemnation that's divine, and people don't know what to do with it. That's why the person that comes home, they're, they're under such a weight of condemnation and guilt, they get angry. Or they kick the dog, or they slam the door, or they walk in, they instantly can find things to be angry about. Condemnation's everywhere, and it leaks. It leaks out of us. Everybody got really quiet. It leaks out of me. I can tell you that. When I'm feeling guilty, like I'm not measuring up, man, that, that flows through my body and my mind and expresses itself in toxic and unhealthy ways. Maybe I'm not the only one. That's why this passage, this verse, is so important. To hear this from God. Because his opinion is the only one that matters. If God says there's no condemnation, all these other condemning sources evaporate. Or they should. Because you're hearing it from the one who matters the most. We all feel this. Here's an illustration. A certain, pa- a certain pastor rose to address his congregation with these words. Mark, I thought of you. You're going to like this. There's a certain man among us today who is living in flagrant disobedience to God's word, the pastor said. Unless he puts $100 in the collection plate, his name will be read from the pulpit. When the collection plate came in, there were 19 $100 bills and a $50 bill with a note attached that said, I will pay the rest next Sunday. Please don't. What does no condemnation mean? It means you're not guilty. God has spoken the declaration of not guilty over your life. That's what it means on a negative note is not guilty. Sentence revoked. On a positive note, it means full acceptance. (laughs) I like to look at it both ways, don't you? It's God saying, you are most welcome in my presence. Divine welcome, full pardon, full acceptance. That's the gospel in one verse. That's where you start. This is where you start to live the Christian life, is that there is absolutely, eternally, no condemnation with you. You don't have to work to earn that declaration from God. It's given to you up front. That's how Christianity is different from every other religion. Every other religion says, okay, get busy. You better, you better earn this thing. And Christianity said, oh, that's already done. It's finished. You don't earn assurance. You don't work toward assurance. You work from assurance. You're put on the top rung of the ladder, as Richard Lovelace reminds us. Christians tend to start every day as if they're on the bottom rung and we got to climb our way up. He said, it's best if you start every day reminding yourself, I'm on the top of this ladder. God put me there, and that's where I'll stay. Living under the weight of condemnation, whether it's real or felt, can turn us into fugitives. We go into hiding. We pose. We pretend. We get caught up in the performance trap. To try and undo this train wreck in our minds of guilt. And it never works. It never works. We put on a mask. We begin to wither. All sorts of human problems can be traced to condemnation. Even some of the mass shooting that happens. When they dig a little bit. You know what they usually find? In in the shooters. Lots of things that are common commonalities. But that there was bullying. There was shaming. There was condemnation. Heaped on them has crazy outcomes, dangerous outcomes. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, most of our troubles are due to the failure to realize the truth of this verse. We second-guess we second guess ourselves. This leads to anxiety. It leads to exhaustion. We burn out. We check out. We go off the radar. I see this as a pastor all the time. Usually, when somebody stops, this, just, this is for free, and this is because I love you, and I'm your pastor, and I want to help you. I would say seven times out of ten, when somebody who's not traveling or some other legitimate reason is, is missing church, seven times out of ten, it's because they fell back into a pattern of destructive thinking or destructive living, and they're living under condemnation, and so they go into hiding. They don't feel worthy. Well, I can't go to church. That's what happens. That's how messed up condemnation can make you. And that's why God goes out of his way to say this over. This is not the first time Paul said this. He said it in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? 
peace with God. There's no more enmity. There's no more hostility. God is not your opponent. You're not his enemy. There's peace. You belong to him now. He wants you. There's room here and there's rest here. Open arms. Come to me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly. Not I'm harsh and I'm judgmental and I'm condemning. Christians who do not understand this verse, there's therefore now no condemnation, a lot of the times their obedience is only out of fear and duty. Let me say that again. If you don't understand what this passage is teaching in verse 1, it's, it's, it could be that when you are, are trying to obey God in your Christian life, you're obeying out of fear and duty and not out of gratitude and love. And there's a huge difference, a huge continental rift between those two things. Let me try to explain it with an illustration. It's the difference between sinning against law and sinning against love. It's the difference between how a believer thinks and an unbeliever thinks when they, when they commit wrong. When I was 21 years old, I got pulled over and I got a DWI. I've, I've shared my testimony about that. That's a long time ago and praise God, he, he got a hold of me. That was part of my Christian testimony. God used that to drive me into the arms of Jesus. Now, I broke the law. In northeast Arkansas, I I committed a crime against the state and against the city. I was guilty as charged. But I got to be honest with you. Even after all the, and I had to pay every cent. I had to pay a debt. I had to do a bunch of stuff to get that removed from my record and get it expunged and taken care of and absolved and all that. took a long time. I had to do a lot of work. But I got to be honest with you. I, I did not feel remorse that I broke the law of Arkansas. I wasn't sad because I, I, I failed the city of Paragold or that I broke a law written in a code or that I disappointed the police officer that pulled me over. Sorry, chief. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what bothered me the most? I broke my parents' heart. I broke my parents' heart. I sinned against love. That bothered me. And that's what helped change me too, my parents' love, that there was no judgment, not an ounce. I've never even really talked to my dad about everything that happened that night. He wrote me an amazing letter. I'm pretty sure he had to pay money to get me out of jail. And I never heard, you're going to pay every cent of that. I never heard any of that. But it broke my heart that I sinned against love. That hurts us worse. That's the condition that we're in as a Christian. We're not sinning against law. We're sinning against love. There's no condemnation. Listen, let me say it this way. There will never be any reason for you as a Christian to fall under the condemnation of God again, ever. You will fail Him. You will sin against, against God. But that will never put you in a different position of condemnation, ever. You've sinned against love. You've grieved Him. And His love and His Holy Spirit can change you and will forgive you and will empower you to live a transformed life. But you'll never be under condemnation. Does that make sense? We tend to think this way. Since I still struggle so much with sin, with indwelling sin, ensnaring sin, deceitful sin, I must have to face some condemnation, just a little, right? No, the no is emphatic. None, not an ounce. There's none left for you. There's none left for you. This verse says it all. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, this will be the next sermon on this, is set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done... Why are we not condemned? Because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ was condemned on our behalf. The law condemned the sinner. Jesus condemned sin and took our place as the condemned. Does that make sense? That's what the gospel is. It's substitution. He traded places. We got, we got the Medal of Honor, and he got shot for being a traitor, right? We traded places. Because we're in Christ, God views you and I right now, and it says now. There's therefore now. You don't wait on it. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. The second you trust Jesus Christ for your salvation, there's therefore now. No condemnation, not ever. For your past, for your present, for your future. God views you This is what's so surprising and shocking and scandalous about Christianity. God views you this very moment, sitting in that chair and watching from home, as as if you have performed 
all the works of Jesus of keeping the law. <laughs> that's, that's staggering. That's incredible. You kept the law perfectly. God sees you in that light when he looks at you because of Christ, because you're in Christ. You're covered, you're safe, you're protected. That's your permanent address. You're never going to get an eviction notice. You're not a tenant. You're not renting. There's no lease that's going to be uh, expired. We have, a, we have a couple of cats, and sometimes they do naughty things. And it got so bad that <laughs> it got so bad we actually wrote up for our kids to help them grow and be mature pet owners. We wrote up a contract. And there was a spot that they agreed, if, if I fail to do this, this, and this, and the cat does that, that, and that again, bye-bye, cat. And we saw, the kids, we made them sign it. Now, those cats have no clue that that's hanging up inside a cabinet door. But I got to be honest with you. Our cats have, since that contract was signed by our kids, the cat has still done naughty things. And you know what's interesting? The cat hasn't been evicted yet. It's still there. Why? Why? Love. Love. That you, could, <laughs> you could say that those cats are in Clayton. It, that's a weird thing to say, isn't it? I mean, we would not say that of a historical figure. We're in George Washington, or we're in Jonathan Edwards, or, but we're in... What does that mean? It means that's your permanent address. That's where you stand. That's where you live. That's where you will exist in Christ. It's Paul's favorite terminology for sharing with us what our position is as Christians. We're in Christ. We've been taken out of ourselves and we've been placed in Christ. We're covered. We're cleansed. We're, we're blameless. We're kept. We're secure. Man, don't you need that? Don't we want that? I sure do. That's our permanent location. Every barrier between you and, G and God in Christ has been removed. You are now united to Him. His life is now flowing in you and through you. The living Christ through the Holy Spirit. The living Christ is giving Himself to us. And, and this is what's amazing about this. You would expect to say there is therefore now no condemnation for the high achievers. For those with an impressive resume, for the perfect family, for the perfect single, for the perfect friend, for the person who has it all together, the movers and shakers, the intelligent, the beautiful, the elite, the committed, those with stellar records. It doesn't, aren't you glad it doesn't say that? Aren't you glad it doesn't say that to those who are in Christ? And I love that. This doesn't happen by osmosis. There's no gray area here when we're talking about salvation. You are either in Christ or you are out of Christ. And, I'll, and I will add this as, as your pastor because I care about you. If you're in Christ, you're not guilty. You're innocent. You're safe. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're preserved. If you're out of Christ, you are in a very real and serious danger. Out of Christ means under wrath. It means at any given moment. Your life could end, and you could find yourself standing in the presence of Christ, naked with no righteousness of your own. Meaning, if you're out of Christ, the only thing you have to offer to God is, is your weak, sinful, and, and flawed life. And I can tell you right now, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to work. It's not going to make it. It's not going to meet muster. It's, it's not going to pass. You need to be in Christ. And, I, and that's, a, that's a warning. I want my hands to be clean. I don't want any blood to be on my hands as your pastor. Flee, flee into the presence of Christ. There is room for you there. There's forgiveness for you there. There's rest for you there. Out of Christ, there's nothing but guilt and condemnation and fear. Hebrews 2.15 talks about that. The fear of death all their life. All our life we fear death because we know that means judgment. We suppress that like a beach ball, but it keeps popping up. We know it. I want you to be safe. I want you to be preserved. I want you to be forgiven and at peace with God. And the only way you can do that is to look to Christ and say, Lord, I need you. And I know you want me. I know you're willing to forgive me. And there's nothing I have to do to earn that. I couldn't earn it. Jesus earned it. So I trust in him. Please forgive me. Please receive me. Please change me. 
I turn from my sin. I'm trusting in you alone. That's what salvation is. That's what salvation means. That's what it looks like. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means this, Christian. I'm talking to you, Christian. God could not possibly love you more than he does right now at this moment. Let me say it another way. On your worst day as a Christian, th- think right now. This, I'll, I'll never ask you to do this, but, but maybe this once. Think of the worst day you've ever had. The wor- if, if you're putting high expectations of performance on you for God, like getting a fist bump from God, good job today, buddy. You really crushed it. What's the worst day that you feel like you failed God? On your, this is what in, being in Christ means. It means on your worst day, God couldn't love you any less And it means on your best day, God couldn't love you anymore. If you're not thinking about Christianity that way, you're not thinking about the Christian faith. You're thinking about a works-based religion of some other variety. Let me say that again. Being in Christ means on your worst day, God does not love you any less. And it means on your best day, God does not love you anymore. Now, of course, there's consequences for sin. And our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God disciplines us and chastens us. And, and I, yes, I know those scriptures are in the Bible. When, when David did what he did with Bathsheba, it said it, it was exceedingly displeasing to the Lord. But there was no condemnation for David. There was consequences. Sure there was. And there's consequences for us. But there's no condemnation. There's a big difference between the two. It's the difference between night and day. In Christ, that means when God looks at you, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. That means you're perfect. Oh, man, this is, <laughs> this is just too good to be true. I, I, I got to be honest with you. Even as a, pa- a Christian pastor saying this, there's a part of me that feels wrong saying it. It just feels wrong to say right now in Christ, you're perfect. You're obedient. You're committed. You're devoted. You're loyal. You're clean. <laughs> You've kept all the commandments. That's what it means to be in Christ. Does that feel wrong to say that? Probably means we're on to something. That's what distinguishes Christianity from every other faith and religion in the world. It is finished. It's finished. Man, I'm not even halfway through, and I, and I took a point out of this sermon. Some of you didn't say anything. You're like, you're at 43 minutes, Pastor. I don't know. <laughs> this is tremendous. I, I'm going to stop here, guys, because we're going to go slow. I want to go slow. I don't want to leave any of this out. But I, I do want to build up to, uh, to the next point that I didn't get to because some of you are wondering. <laughs> There's something really powerful and exciting about this chapter. Paul introduces a new player in our sanctification, the Holy Spirit. Uh, up until chapter 8, the Holy Spirit's mentioned just a handful of times. After chapter 8, a handful of times. In chapter 8, 21 times. The presence, the person, the power of the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And it helps answer this question. How do we know that we're not condemned? Well, the first point is basically uh, because God died on the, because Jesus died on the cross, right? That's the first answer. There's no condemnation because Christ was condemned for me on the cross. But the second answer, it's, it's at the end of this verse, it says four There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for, then it talks about the Holy Spirit has broken the bondage of sin and captivity. So we know we're not condemned because Jesus died on the cross and also because the Holy Spirit's changing us. The Holy Spirit is at work right now in our hearts, changing us, changing the way we see things. Changing our desires and our aspirations and our ambitions and the things we love and the things that we crave and the things that we hope in. And man, this is so powerful and so beautiful. It, it, it deserves an entire sermon on its own. So we're, we're going to talk about that. We're going to finish up this point. There's therefore now no condemnation and we're going to jump into the next point and, and hopefully get through verse 4. But let me, just, let me just end by asking you this. Are you in Christ? Do you have this hope? Do you have this settled peace in your heart? You're not going to get this anywhere else. I don't mean any other church. (laughs) Hopefully every church is declaring some version of this today. You're not going to get this from any other person, from any other system of thought, from any philosophy, psychology, worldview. Only Christ can offer you this. 
complete immunity, complete forgiveness, complete cleansing and atonement, a clean slate, security. Only Jesus can offer you this. Have you taken him up on his offer? Have you came to Jesus Christ? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Maybe this is the day for you. If you don't know Christ, man, why wait? Why would you wait? What, what is compelling enough to keep you out of the presence of the one who offers this? Who stood in your place, took your full penalty, tore up the, the lease agreement and said, they're mine forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing and powerful truth. I pray that we would just sit and maybe just sit in silence for a minute and just ponder this. I can't make people feel what I, I want them to feel. I pray that they feel. I hope that they feel. Lord, only, only your spirit can produce that. I pray the truth and the power and the beauty and even the mystery of this passage, Lord, this one sentence would just wash over all of us today and we would sit under it. Sit under this declaration, knowing that the opposite would be to sit under your wrath, to sit under your judgment, to live in fear and doubt and in darkness all of our days, Lord. Thank you for this hope. Fill us with this hope, God. If there is anyone here who's not in Christ, I pray this would be the day, Lord, that, th that they would answer the call of Jesus that says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened. And I believe part of that burden was condemnation. He was talking to people that were under an oppressive religious system that had strayed from its original intention under false teachers that were greedy. So I pray, Lord, we would come to you today and find rest for our souls. For you are gentle and lowly. Thank you for being who you are, God. Thank you for receiving us based on the merits of your Son and not our own. We pray all these things in, in, the, in the power and might of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, look, I want to... I wanna, I want to remind you again, uh, I'm so excited. Some of what I'm talking about today is, is part of a spiritual discipline to remind yourself of these truths, to go deeper into these truths, and that's part of the, the class that we're offering, and I, I want to put this up. This GROW class is meeting for the next seven weeks. We're meeting on Thursday nights from 6.30 to 8, and we're meeting at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church that's just over here in Deland. Pastor Darren was amazingly gracious and accommodating, and he let us have a classroom for the next eight weeks. Uh, and it's a, perfect, it's a perfect place for us to meet. And if you weren't able to go last week, there's no condemnation for you, okay? But I want there to be an invitation for you. We had such a tremendous time together. And I know it will bless you. It will help you. Some of you want to grow. Some of you want to connect to other believers who want to grow. And I can't think of a better place or a better platform or a better teacher to, to help us with that. So another shameless plug, because I don't think this is in the lineup for announcements today. Um, but for now, I want us to close our time with a song of reflection on what we've heard. You can stick your nose in this passage and look over it again, pray through it. You can come and talk to one of us in the back. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love the opportunity to counsel you and pray all these things. In Jesus' name. All right, guys.
confidence and freedom and humility and hope that that passage brings. Oh, man. just want to run through a brick wall after here in Romans 8.1. It's awesome. I won't do that, though. Um, I just have a couple of announcements before we go. Um, first, next Sunday is Father's Day. Don't forget, all you kids and uh, wives out there, it is Father's Day next Sunday. So like we did with Mother's Day, we had muffins with mom at 9.30. We're doing the same thing. Dads and donuts. Get here at 9.30. We will have the goods in the lobby, and we're going to feast, all right? It's going to be awesome. Next Sunday, 9.30 in the lobby. Get here a little early. It'll be a blast. 
Also, on Father's Day, that's our, the final day of our baby bottle outreach for the Pregnancy Center. We collect all the donations um, for that ministry over there. They, they are doing an incredible work in our community, and we want to partner with them um, through giving funds. So that's next week is the final week we'll be collecting. Uh, you can see the table out in the lobby. The Drakes are um, hosting that table. They can give you any information you need for that. So bring those donations next Sunday. And then finally, let's see. Yes, uh, the prayer gathering. So every time a month has five Wednesdays, we meet for a prayer gathering on that fifth Wednesday. Um, funny thing is, this month, we're actually meeting on a Thursday. So I know it's confusing. It is what it is. Uh, we're going to meet at that same church, uh, Emmanuel Presbyterian. Um, it'll be Thursday, June 30th. Is that right? at 6.30 p.m. We would love to have you there just a time to, uh, we fast through the day, and then we gather to pray, and it's, it's just an incredible time to um, lift up worship to God through prayer and pray. We have these three big um, prayers we're praying for this year, and we would love for you to join us um, for that prayer gathering. All right, so I'll have you um, stand to your feet. We will read our charge and then we will be dismissed. So say this aloud with me. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.